Let not believers take disbelievers as allies rather than the believers. لا يتخذ المؤمنون The believers should not take. The believers should not make. They should not adopt. Who? الكافرين The disbelievers. So the believers should not make disbelievers what? أولياء Their close protecting friends. من دون المؤمنين Other than the believers Meaning instead of the believers So in other words The believers over here Are being commanded That they must not take The disbelievers As their close protecting friends And they must only take the believers As their close protecting friends The word awliya Is the plural of wali And who is a wali? Wali is from the root letters Waulam Yeah And wali is used for a friend who is very intimate, very close. You have a very close and special relationship with him. What does it mean by that? It implies two things. That first of all, whenever you need help, whenever you need support, whenever you need assistance, who do you go to? Your wali, your close protecting friend, your ally, your patron. And the second thing that the word wali implies is that when they are in need, when they need your support, when they need your assistance, you also support them. You also help them. So a wali is someone with whom there is the relationship of muwalat. What does muwalat mean? It's from wilaya. That you have a close relationship in which both of you are friends to each other, both of you support each other at any cost. That you are the priority of your friend. That no matter what happens, even if they have to compromise their religion or their friends or their family or their money or their anything, they will compromise, they will sacrifice. Why? Because they are your close friends. So over here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, that the believers must not take the disbelievers as their close protecting friends while they are leaving the believers. So what does it mean? That they must not take any help from them, nor should they give any help to them. And notice that لا يتخذ يتخذ is in the third person. It doesn't say لا تتخذوا All of you should not adopt. What is the command? لا يتخذ It's in third person. And whenever a command is given in third person or when something is spoken of in the third person, then it implies the seriousness of what is being discussed. Like for example, Surah Abasa. What does Allah say? Abasa wa tawalla. He frowned and he turned away. When the Prophet ﷺ frowned and turned away from who? The blind companion who came to him. It hasn't been said that Abasta wa tawallayta. You frowned and you turned away. Why? Because when the address is through third person, then it makes the address more serious. So, لا يتخذ المؤمنون الكافرين أولياء من دون المؤمنين The believers must not take disbelievers as their allies rather than the believers. وَمَنْ يَفْعَلْ ذَلِكَ And whoever does that. Whoever does what? 
meaning any believer who takes the disbelievers as their awliya فَلَيْسَ مِنَ اللَّهِ فِي شَيْءٍ So then he does not have anything from Allah. He has nothing with Allah. What does it mean by this? فَلَيْسَ مِنَ اللَّهِ فِي شَيْءٍ مِنَ اللَّهِ has been understood in two ways. That first of all this means مِن دِينِ اللَّهِ مِنَ اللَّهِ means مِن دِينِ اللَّهِ Meaning, such a person then does not belong to the religion of Allah anymore. Such a person does not belong to the deen of Allah anymore. He is going to lose his faith. Secondly, min Allahi is understood as min walayatillahi. Meaning that such a person has no friendship with Allah now. He will lose the support of Allah. He will lose the help of Allah. Because if you think about it, at the time of need, at the time when you need somebody else's support, who should you go to? Your friend or your enemy? Who should you go to? Your friend. And if you're going to your enemy, what does that mean? That you're going to lose your principles and you're also going to lose the support of your friends. For example, your parents tell you, don't listen to such and such person. Or for example, the parents of a particular girl, they advise her, do not marry such and such boy. And she says, no, I don't care about what you say, I'm going to go marry him because I love him. What do the parents say? That if you go marry him, then that's it. You don't know us anymore. Some parents do that. So, similarly, فَلَيْسَ مِنَ اللَّهِ مِنْ شَيْءٍ Meaning such a person, he has lost his religion. And secondly, he has lost the help of Allah. Why is this said over here? Because the one who takes help from someone, what happens? He becomes loyal to him. So similarly, if a believer takes help from the disbelievers, what does that mean? That he will become loyal to them. Illa except This is an exception Exception to what? Exception to taking the disbelievers As close protecting friends Or giving them help What is that exception? An that Tattaqu minhum You safeguard from them Tattaqu is from taqwa What does taqwa mean? To take precaution So you take precaution against them Against who? Against the disbelievers Meaning from their evil so you are taking precaution from their evil tuqatan a safeguarding tuqatan is also from the same root as taqwa waqafiyah and tuqatan is a mustar remember the word mustar i told you once before that it's the main word from which other words are derived so tuqatan is a main word just as taqwa is a mustar similarly tuqatan is also a mustar so antattaqu minhum tuqa meaning you take precaution against their evil out of what? out of assuring safety and security for yourself what does it mean by this? that for example if there is a Muslim who comes in contact with the disbelievers or he is in such a need in which he has to show some friendship to them he has to show wilaya to them and if he does not show wilaya then his life is in danger or his property, his security, his safety is in danger. For example, the Muslims who were living in Mecca. If over there they declared war, they said, you're not our friends, we're not going to take help from you, you're not going to help us, that's it. We're at war with you. What does that mean? What would that bring on the Muslims? Death. Intense persecution. Similarly, if there is a Muslim who is living in a non-Muslim land, and that non-Muslim land requires that person 
that he must swear, he must take an oath of allegiance, that he will be faithful, he will abide by the laws, he will do whatever the government tells him to do. He has to do that. Because if he does not, he will not be able to live there. Isn't it so? He will not be allowed to live there. And it's not necessary that everything that the disbelievers tell you to do while you're living with them is something that goes against the religion. So if there's something that goes against the deen, obviously you don't do it. So in taking their help or in giving help, in taking their cooperation or in cooperating with them, it is permissible as long as it does not compromise the deen of a person. As long as it does not affect the deen of a person. So, وَيُحَذِّرُكُمُ اللَّهُ نَفْسَهُ What does Allah say over here? That He warns you from Himself. يُحَذِّرُ is from the root letters هَذَا تَحْذِيرُ And تَحْذِيرُ is to warn someone about something. To make them cautious. خُذُوا حِذْرَكُمْ So, يُحَذِّرُكُمُ اللَّهُ نَفْسَهُ Allah warns you from Himself, meaning He warns you against His punishment if you take the disbelievers as your close protecting friends. وَإِلَى اللَّهِ الْمَصِيرِ And to Allah is the destination. Now this command that has been mentioned in this ayah needs to be understood properly. Because otherwise, a person can very easily misinterpret and misunderstand this command and apply it in a way that is incorrect and hence bring harm upon himself, upon the society and upon the other Muslims as well. If he does not act upon this command properly. Now you see when it comes to dealing with the disbelievers, everybody wonders, to what extent are we allowed to do so? Can we smile at them? Can we work with them? Can we invite them over? If they come over, can we serve them food in our dishes? Now these things, people wonder a lot. People think about it a lot. So this ayah tells us about what is permissible and what is not. Now remember, if a person reads this ayah just on the surface, he may think that Muslims are not allowed to make any friends with disbelievers. Apparently this is what it seems like. لا يتخذ المؤمنون الكافرين أولياء That the believers should not take the disbelievers as their friends. Apparently it seems as though Muslims are not allowed to make friends with the disbelievers. And that Islam teaches hatred. This is what people say. But the fact is that human interactions, when it comes to dealing with people, when it comes to interacting with people, there are different levels. Remember that there are different levels when it comes to dealing with people, when it comes to interacting with people. First of all, there is a level of muasat. Meem, wow, alif, seen, alif, ta. Muasat. And muasat is to wish well for everybody, to benefit everyone, whether they are believers or unbelievers. So basically, muasat is a relationship that is based upon compassion for one another. That is based upon compassion for one another. And we know that in our religion, when it comes to doing ihsan, when it comes to being compassionate, being kind to others, to the creation of Allah, then it's not just being kind and compassionate to the Muslims. No. It's about being kind and compassionate to all of human beings. Regardless of their age, regardless of their gender, regardless of their religion, their background, their ethnicity, to the extent that even animals, they deserve compassion and care. So, muasat, well-wishing for others, benefiting everyone, doing ihsan upon everyone, this is something that we must do even to the non-believers. 
This is something that we must show even to the non-believers without any bias. That just because he's a disbeliever, just because he's not a Muslim, you're not going to give him water if he's thirsty, if he's in trouble, if he needs help, you're not going to help him. For example, if there's a woman who has a child with her and she's carrying grocery bags, now you're going to say, oh, she's a non-Muslim, I'm not going to help her. I'm not going to help her carry her bags. Are you going to do that? No. Muasat is to do ihsan upon everybody, regardless of their gender, their age, their background, their religion, everything. Why? Because as human beings, we need each other. And when we're living in a society, we need to help each other. So for example, in Muasat, what is included? If there is a person who is sick, if there are people in the hospital, what does Muasat require from you? That you go visit the hospital. You go visit those people who are sick. Similarly, there are people who are old and they're living in such places which are only for old people. For example, an old people's home. So part of Muasat is what? Going there, visiting them, taking something for them so that they appreciate the time and the help that you're bringing them. Similarly, if you have neighbors, what does Muasat require? That you say hi to them. You help them out. You greet them. You don't do anything that hurts them, that creates trouble in their life. For example, if you're mowing your lawn and their patch is only a little bit by your lawn in the front, then you can also do theirs. Why? This is Muasat. And this is something that we see very common at the time of the Prophet For example, we see that after the Battle of Badr, 70 people of Mecca, 70 mushrikeen, came to Medina as prisoners of war. Where were they kept? By the masjid. And we know that the Muslims, when they served them food, what did they serve them? The best food that the Muslims had. Remember, bread was something very rare in Medina. Rice was unheard of. Food that is staple for us today, it was unheard of. It was unknown, unfamiliar to them. They did not know about rice. Bread was a rarity. So they gave the fine food that they had to who? To those people who were prisoners, those people who had come to fight with them. They gave them meat. And what did they themselves arrive on? Dates, simple food. Similarly, we see that when there was a drought that struck Makkah, the Prophet ﷺ sent food supplies to Makkah. He sent aid to Makkah. Why? Because they are human beings. Okay, fine, they're disbelievers. Yes, they're at war with you. Yes, they have hurt you a lot. They have persecuted you a lot. But at the end of the day, they are human beings. And if they are dying because of hunger, and you have food, it is your responsibility that you help them, that you send aid to them. Similarly, whenever the wufud, the different delegations, they would come to visit the Prophet ﷺ in Medina, of non-Muslims. The Prophet ﷺ, he lodged them where? In his masjid. What do we say? Non-Muslims don't come in our masjid. That's what we say. We don't open our doors to them. But the Prophet ﷺ, he lodged them in the masjid. He didn't say, oh, because you're non-Muslims, you're not believers, therefore you can live out in the streets or you can go back home. You're not welcome here. No, this is muasat. If there is a person who is traveling, who has come all the way to meet you, even if he disagrees with you, even if he's your enemy, but 
because he is a human being he deserves some kind treatment out of that you should provide them a good residence similarly we see that at the conquest of makkah the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam forgave so many people at the time of umar radhiyallahu anhu when he was a khalifa there were many non muslims who lived in the islamic caliphate but umar radhiyallahu anhu he provided stipends to who to even non muslims those who were needy they were given welfare money the women the children the old so we see that muasat when it comes to showing compassion to other people this is out of humanity they are human beings they deserve compassion they deserve some kind treatment this is something that we must do it's not just something that is recommended no it is something that we must do we must be affectionate and kind towards other human beings regardless of their religion regardless of their ethnicity and background so for example if somebody comes over to your house somebody let's say there's a person who is working in your house he's come to fix maybe the kitchen or the washroom or the stairs or the carpet or something like that are you not going to give them any food they've been working for hours are you not going to serve them anything if you don't technically it's fine because you're paying them the money but muasat requires that you show some compassion to them if they've been working for a long time give them a glass of water give them some nice tea offer them some fruit offer them to sit down but what do we say non muslims not a muslim and besides that he's not from my country and therefore i'm not going to even smile at this person i'm not even going to show them any kindness no this is something that we must do so this is the first level of interacting with people with regards to this remember that if a person does zulm upon a person just because he's a disbeliever if a muslim oppresses a non-muslim unjustly then what do we learn about that for example we learn from a hadith that is mentioned in al-bukhari that he who kills a dhimmi who is a dhimmi a non-muslim who is living in a muslim land so he who kills a dhimmi unjustly will not be able to smell the fragrance of jannah he will not be able to even smell the fragrance of jannah just because he's a non-muslim you think that his life is halal you can go kill him for no reason no you cannot do that so for example some people say oh we're in a non-muslim land so if you're dealing with a non-muslim then cheat him no big deal he's a kafir if you're going to the mall if you're going to a particular shop if you're going to the grocery store okay steal something they're kafir who cares hit them they're kafir not my child child of a kafir so we put this big label kafir and we think that we can deal with them in any way that we want forgetting that muasat is something that we must do so the second level of interaction is of mudarat mim dal alif ra alif ta mudarat and mudarat is to be good with people when you come in contact with them when you come in contact with them it's from daru yaduru to revolve so when you're revolving around the same society around the same shops around the same stores in the same neighborhood when you come in contact with them then mudarat is to be good to people for example you go to the mall you go to a shop and you're buying something now just because the woman she's a non-muslim you're not going to say hi to her if she asks you something you're going to ignore her she's a non-muslim who cares 
I can ignore her. I can treat her however I want. Or you can shout at her. No. Just because she's a non-Muslim doesn't mean that you don't treat her properly. No. Mudalat is that when you're dealing with someone on a one-on-one basis, then what should you do? Deal with them properly. Similarly, if you're walking down the street and you see a person, you see a small child, now just because he's a kafir or she's a kafir, you're not going to smile? You're not going to say hi? No, you should. So, for example, we see that at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, there was a Jewish man who came to the Prophet ﷺ's house. And the Prophet ﷺ offered him some food. Mudarat. One-on-one basis interaction. So the Prophet ﷺ offered him some food. The Jewish man, he ate as well. And then he spent the night over there as well. And he rested on the bed of the Prophet ﷺ and he left it dirty as well. It is said that he forgot his sword. When he left, he forgot his sword. So he came back to ask for the sword. And the Prophet ﷺ did not say anything to him. Mudarat. When you're dealing with someone on a one-on-one basis, because you're human beings, they deserve some kind treatment, some good treatment. So mudarat also, this is something that we must take care of when we're dealing with the non-Muslims. The third level of interaction is mu'amalat. And what does mu'amalat mean? When you have to deal with the people for some work. For example, business transaction. Similarly, you're going to school and you have a teacher who is non-Muslim. You work somewhere and your employer is a non-Muslim. You go to the hospital, you go to visit the doctor and the doctor is a non-Muslim. You go to the library and the librarian is a non-Muslim. You sit in a cab and the cab driver is a non-Muslim. You go on the bus and the bus driver is a non-Muslim. So this is when you come in contact with someone. Why? Because of some work, because of some mu'amala. So you need to consult a physician. You go to the doctor and the doctor is a non-Muslim. You need to study something. You go to school and the teacher is a non-Muslim. Now just because they're non-Muslim, you're not going to deal with them? Just because your professor, your teacher at school is a non-Muslim and they give you homework, you say, oh, who cares? She's a non-Muslim. So if she gives me homework, I don't have to listen to her. No. Similarly, if you are sitting in a cab and the driver is a non-Muslim, you're going to say, I can leave whatever garbage here. I can, just because it belongs to a non-Muslim, let me just ruin some of it. Because I hate non-Muslims, I hate kuffar, so I'm just going to put a bad mark on the seat I'm going to take dirty shoes inside on purpose, deliberately. It belongs to a non-Muslim. Who cares? No. Mu'amalat is when you're dealing with someone for some work, then you deal with them properly. So for example, if you have to speak with a non-Muslim teacher, with a non-Muslim instructor, if you have to ask a question, you should ask. You can ask. You can speak to them. Now just because you're non-Muslim, your religion does not prohibit you from talking to them. For instance, some people will say, Oh, non-Muslims, because they don't have Iman, so don't refer to them at all. Don't ask them anything. Because they don't have Iman. They don't have any aql. They don't have any reason. And even if they are the best in their field, still don't consult them. Don't ask them. Why? Non-Muslim. No. This is something that goes against our religion. Similarly, when you have a boss, when you have an employer who is a non-Muslim, when you think you can cheat them, just because they're a non-Muslim, that is also incorrect. When you are answerable in front of them, what is required? 
that we must be honest, we must be truthful. We see that the Prophet ﷺ, he had left a security deposit with a Jew. In the Ayat al-Dayn, after that when we learned about the Rahn, to deposit something as a security with the creditor, someone whom you're taking a loan from. So the Prophet ﷺ did mu'amala with non-Muslims as well. He borrowed something from a Jewish man and he left his sword as a rahn. This is what? Mu'amala. Now just because he's a non-Muslim, you're not going to deal with him? No. Mu'amalat, this is also something that is permissible. Now the fourth level of interacting with people, of relationships with people, that is of mu'alat. From wa'ulamiya. Which is what is being mentioned in this ayah. The word wali is from the same root as well. What is mu'alat? Mu'alat is close, intimate friendship with someone. And what happens in this friendship is that you support the other, you help the other at all costs. You accept them, you agree with them a hundred percent, and if they want your help, if they want your cooperation, you cooperate with them a hundred percent. Even if that means you have to compromise something. Even if that means you have to leave something. And even if that thing which you have to compromise on, which you have to leave, is the command of Allah, the religion of Allah. This is what mu'alat is. So we see that this relationship of mu'alat includes love for each other, listening to each other, obeying each other, even if it means going against the deen, compromising the deen. And this is something that is forbidden with the disbelievers. We may have mu'asat, mudarat, mu'amalat. All of this is permissible. But when it comes to mu'alat, then this is only for Allah, His Messenger, and the believers. It is not with the disbelievers. Why? Because when you befriend someone in such a way that you agree with them 100%, you cooperate with them whenever they want your cooperation, what does that mean? That your deen is going to be compromised. So for example, we learned earlier in Surah Al-Baqarah that marrying disbelievers is something that is forbidden. Why? Because when you're married to someone, what does that mean? That you will do what they like. You will do what they do. They're not going to get up for Fajr. They're not going to pray. They're not going to fast in the month of Ramadan. They're not going to encourage you to recite the Quran. They're not going to encourage you to spend in the way of Allah. So how are you going to practice your religion? You will not be able to practice your religion. And then, part of this relationship is that you agree with them. You approve their actions. So for example, when they're doing shirk, when they're disobeying Allah, you, as a best friend, what are you going to do? Acknowledge it. You're going to allow it. You're going to permit it. You're going to cooperate with them in order to do it. So therefore, this is something that is forbidden. Now, we see that close friendship with non-believers is prohibited for several reasons. What are those reasons? First of all, because this friendship affects your deen. This friendship, what does it do? It affects your deen. It makes you compromise on your religion. It makes you go against your religion. And this is the reason why marriage with the mushrikeen is something that is forbidden. What does Allah say over there? Ulaika yad'una ilan nao. Such people, they're calling you to the fire. So when you cooperate with them, when you listen to them, you're going to end up doing that which is going to lead you 
to hellfire. So when you befriend them in such a way, what's going to happen? You're going to compromise your religion. And this is exactly what the Bani Israel did. Remember in Surah Al-Baqarah, in Ayah 84-85, we learned about the Mithaq, about the covenant that was taken from the Bani Israel. What was that covenant? That you're not going to kill each other. The Bani Israel were told, you're not going to kill your own people. You're not going to expel your own people. You're not going to cooperate with others against your own people. This was a mithaq that was taken from them. But we learned that the Bani Israel, especially those tribes who were living in Medina, they had made allies, meaning mu'alat, with who? With the mushrikeen. The Jews had made mu'alat with who? With the mushrikeen. And when they had the war, when they had several battles, what did that mean? They were fighting against their own people. They were killing their own Muslim brothers and sisters. They expelled them from their homes. And when the battle was over, they went, why? To pay their ransom and freedom. Let me read these verses to you. وَإِذْ أَخَذْنَا مِثَاقَكُمْ لَا تَسْفِكُونَ دِمَاءَكُمْ وَلَا تُخْرِجُونَ أَنفُسَكُمْ مِنْ دِيَارِكُمْ ثُمَّ أَقْرَرْتُمْ وَأَنْتُمْ تَشْهَدُونَ ثُمَّ أَنْتُمْ هَؤُلَاءِ تَقْتُلُونَ أَنفُسَكُمْ وَتُخْرِجُونَ فَرِيقًا مِنْكُمْ مِنْ دِيَارِهِمْ تَظَاهَرُونَ عَلَيْهِمْ بِالْإِثْمِ وَالْعُدْوَانِ وَإِنْ يَأْتُوكُمْ أُسَارًا تُفَادُوهُمْ وَهُوَ مُحَرَّمٌ عَلَيْكُمْ إِخْرَاجُهُمْ So we see that when a person has such a close friendship with the disbelievers, what does that mean? That sometimes you will have to go against your religion. Now the Jews, they had made allies with who? With the mushrikeen. And when you're allies with someone, what does that mean? That when they go to war, you go to war with them. When somebody fights them, they also fight you. So if their allies were fighting against their Muslim brothers and sisters, what did they do? They went and fought against their own people. This is why this friendship is forbidden. Because it makes a person go against his deen. It makes a person compromise his deen. And this is just one example. This can be applied to salah. This can be applied to so many things. That if you're going to be friends with them, if you're going to be with them all the time, if they're your best buddies, if they listen to music, you're going to end up listening to it as well. If they go to a party in which there is a lot of haram, and because you're their best friend, you're going to end up going there as well. So, such friendship affects the deen. Therefore, this friendship is not permissible. Secondly, another reason as to why this friendship is not permissible is that when a person befriends another, he takes his influence. How? In the habits, in speech, in lifestyle. What do we learn from the hadith? That al-mar'u ala dini khalilihi. A person is on the religion of his friend. So whatever your friend does, you will do that as well. You get used to it. So for example, if you hear foul language all the time, what are you going to do? You're going to start using it as well. We see that in our kids. They go to school and their friends, their children, there are people who are away from the deen. And the language that those kids use, the same language our children use as well. So easily. So casually. On every little thing. Big, big words are coming out of their mouths and they don't care. Why? Because for them it's something so normal. Similarly, when you watch TV and you're hearing these foul words all the time, obviously there's something that's going to become very easy for you to say as well. So a person takes influence 
from his friends. Therefore, a person should be careful that he must not befriend those who are away from the deen. Those who are against the deen. Those who mock at your deen. Those who deny your deen. How can you befriend such people? Whatever they do, you will do as well. We learn in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا تَتَّخِذُوا الْيَهُودَ وَالنَّصَارَ أَوْلِيَاءَ بَعْضُهُمْ أَوْلِيَاءُ بَعْضُ وَمَنْ يَتَوَلَّهُمْ مِنْكُمْ فَإِنَّهُ مِنْهُمْ What does the ayah say? وَمَنْ يَتَوَلَّهُمْ مِنْكُمْ فَإِنَّهُ مِنْهُمْ O believers, do not take the Jews and Christians as close friends. Why? Because they are friends of one another. And whoever befriends them, then surely he is one of them. What does it mean by this? That he will eventually become like them. He will dress like them, he will behave like them, he will talk like them, he will live like them, he will take influence from them. Because all the relationships that we have with people, they affect us in some way or the other. Therefore, do not befriend a disbeliever so closely that their religion, their way, their practice, their habits, they affect you and you go farther and farther away from your deen. Another reason as to why friendship with the disbelievers, close friendship, mu'alat, is forbidden. And what is that reason? That when a person befriends non-believers and he lives with them, he talks with them, he, in the sense that he interacts with them all the time, and he approves of their actions, he promotes their ways, he cooperates with them, then he is forgetting his responsibility as a member of the Muslim Ummah. As a member of the Muslim Ummah, as a Muslim, what is your responsibility? That you have to follow your deen, and you also have to tell other people about the deen. But when you are saying to a person, that what you're doing is fine. What you're doing is okay. I approve it. I accept it. I will do it as well with you. Then what does that mean? That you're not going to tell them about what they should do and what they should not do. You're going to accept them as they are and you're not going to work on trying to tell them about the deen. So therefore, this is also one of the reasons as to why mu'alat with the disbelievers is something that is forbidden. Another reason is the protection of our iman. Remember that all of the commands, all of the prohibitions that have been given to us in our deen, they serve to achieve some goal. Remember the maqasid al-sharia? The goals of the sharia? The objectives of the sharia? What are they? The protection of a person's deen. So anything that harms the person's deen or takes him away from his deen, then that thing is forbidden. Or anything that improves the deen of a person, that thing is commanded, it is encouraged. For example, praying salah five times a day. A person may wonder, why not just once a week? Why five times a day? Because praying five times a day makes a person focused on his deen. Therefore, the commands that have been given in our religion, what do they serve? As means to achieve some goal. Similarly, when friendship, close, intimate friendship is forbidden with the non-believers, what's the purpose? Protection of Iman. What are the other objectives of the Sharia? Protection of life, which is why murder is forbidden. Similarly, protection of aql, of intellect, which is why alcohol is 
forbidden. Protection of lineage, which is why zina is forbidden. Or that you can't just adopt a child and give him your own name. No. He will still keep the name of his actual father. Or in the case of zina, biological mother. So protection of lineage as well. And also protection of wealth, which is why theft is forbidden. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded us that we must not befriend disbelievers in such a way that they influence us in a way that it would take us away from the deen, why? Why is it so? For the protection of our iman. What else can you think? Why else is this type of friendship forbidden? What comes to your mind? It will affect your personal life, it will affect your thinking, your outlook on life. If that person is very materialistic, you're going to become materialistic as well. If their focus is on the benefits of dunya, your focus will become benefits of dunya as well, even if that means compromising your akhirah. If they promote taking riba or giving riba so you can buy a house so that you can achieve your dream, similarly you're going to do the same thing. It makes you live a double life. That when you're with them, you do what they approve of. And when you're at home, you do what your family approves of. And you will not have any confidence in your iman, in your Islam. That you will think that everything you have to do should meet their standards because your goal is to please them. Because that's what awliya do. You please each other. You assist each other. You support each other all the time. You approve of one another. So if your goal is to please them, then how will you have any confidence in your deen? You cannot have any confidence. You forget your own identity when you're influenced by them. And you're depriving yourself of doing something that is better when you're being awliya with them, helping them, supporting them, cooperating with them in ways that are incorrect. Remember, don't misunderstand what I'm saying now. Mu'alat is forbidden, but other than that, all the three Levels of interaction that I told you about Muwasat, mudarat, muamalat That is something that we must do That we can do, we are allowed to do And that on the day of judgment A person will be with the one whom he loves So if our love is for those Who disobey Allah Who oppose the religion of Allah Where will we be on that day? Another reason is That when a person befriends his own enemy what is he doing? He's bringing harm upon himself. Now just imagine, the Muslims left Makkah. They came to Medina. Why? Because their lives were at risk in Makkah. And in Medina, if they were to befriend the Makkans, what was that? Bringing harm upon themselves. So for example, we learned that when the Prophet ﷺ intended to go and conquer Makkah, when he decided to conquer Makkah, what happened was that one of the companions, Hatib, some of his relatives were still in Makkah. So he was worried about them, about their security, about their safety, because obviously there was going to be an army that is coming to Makkah, so there was going to be conquest. So he was worried about their safety and their security, so he wrote a letter to the people of Makkah informing them about the Prophet's plan, about his intention. Why? So that he could assure some security and safety for his family. And obviously, when he wrote that letter, the angel Jibreel told the Prophet ﷺ, who sent some companions, Ali who to find that woman who was taking the letter. The woman was caught, the letter was taken, and obviously the mushrikeen, they did not find out. And then what happened? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed some verses 
in which we learned that, Ya ayyuhalladina amanu, la tattakhidu aduwi wa aduwakum awliya. O you who believe, take not my enemies and your enemies as friends. When a person befriends his enemy, when he goes to him for help and support, then he is harming himself. In Surah Ali Imran, Ayah 118, we learn, Ya ayyuhalladina amanu, la tattakhidu bitanatam min dunikum, la ya'lunakum khabala. O you who have believed, do not take as intimates those other than yourselves, for they will not spare you any ruin. If you're going to go and tell them about your secrets, about your plans, about your goals, you think they're going to cooperate with you? No. He's your enemy. He's not going to help you. He's not going to support you. For example, you go tell your non-Muslim friend about your goal to do da'wah. Study the Qur'an. Are they going to encourage you? Not necessarily. Similarly we see that if a person befriends the enemies of Allah, those people who are against the deen of Allah, those people who are against the religion of Allah, who are opposing the religion of Allah, what is he going to do? He is also going to be influenced in a way that he will also begin opposing the religion, leaving the religion, disagreeing with the religion, objecting at the deen of Allah. This is something that he will also begin to do. Which is why Allah says that whoever of you does that, then he has nothing with Allah. Meaning he's not in the deen of Allah anymore. Because obviously he's going to get influenced and he is also going to do the same thing that these people are doing, which is opposing the deen of Allah. So that's mu'amalat. But if you take it to a level in which your friendship means that whatever you give me, I will take. Whatever you say to me, I will do. If I'm wearing hijab and you don't want me to wear hijab in your house, I will do it because you're my friend. That is what? Mu'alat. And that is forbidden. Similarly, just because you're my friend and whatever you offer me, even if it's haram food, I will eat it because you're my best friend. I cannot make you upset. That is something that is forbidden. But if they're offering you something halal, something that is permissible, why not? Take it. To summarize the ayah, when it comes to interacting with the disbelievers, there are different levels. The only thing that is forbidden is such a dealing or such an interaction or such a friendship that is going to affect your religion. That is going to make you compromise on your religion. And remember that this is not something that is limited to the non-believers only. Even if there is a Muslim who is telling you to leave your religion, go against your religion, compromise your deen, are you going to listen to them? No, you're not going to. Because there is no obedience to the creation in disobedience to the Creator. This is the main lesson of the ayah, that when it comes to showing compassion to the disbelievers, go ahead. But if their friendship leads you to compromising your religion, doing that which Allah disapproves of, then that is something that is forbidden. And also remember that when it comes to interacting with them, when it comes to befriending them, that is also that must be done in a limited quantity. Why? Because if you're interacting with them all the time, are they going to mention Allah? Are they going to say Subhanallah? Are they going to say Alhamdulillah? Are they going to say Inna Lillahi wa Inna Ilaihi Rajiun? Are they going to encourage you to do sabr? No. Your company affects you. And when you are with those people who are righteous, then obviously your outlook in life, your actions, your thinking, your behavior will be different. And if you're sitting and interacting with people all the time, those people who are not Muslim, then you will think like them. You will talk like them. You will behave like them. 
Recitation. لا يتخذ المؤمنون الكافرين أولياء من دون المؤمنين ومن يفعل ذلك فليس من الله في شيء إلا أن تتقوا منهم تقاه ويحذركم الله نفسه Look at how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَيُحَذِّرُكُمُ اللَّهُ نَفْسَهُ Allah warns you against Himself. That it's possible that you enjoy some benefits in this life because of close friendship with them. But eventually where are you going? Akhirah. And over there, you have to be answerable for everything you do and you can't put blame on other people at that time. For example, we learn in the Qur'an about people who compromise their religion. Why? Just because they're oppressed in a land. They have to do so. They have to listen to the people around them because their life is at danger, is at risk. So what are they told at the time of death? The angels beat them and they say, Isn't the earth of Allah vast? That you could go somewhere else and practice your religion freely? So remember that this dunya is not permanent. We cannot make excuses. That because I'm here, because... You know, I'm a non-Muslim land. And when I wear hijab, people don't like it. So therefore, I'm not going to wear it. If I go to school, if I pray salah, at the time of salah, people don't like it. Therefore, I'm going to leave my salah. No, you cannot do that. Remember, if their friendship, if affiliation with them is causing you to compromise on your religion, even a little bit, even a little bit, it's not in your favor. It's going to be against you. Because this dunya is not eternal. If you link this ayah with the previous verses, what do the previous verses talk about? That Allah is the Malikul Mulk. Allah is the Malikul Mulk. Tu'til Mulka man tasha. Watanzi'ul Mulka min man tasha. Watu'izzu man tasha. Watu'dillu man tasha. Why is it that we turn to the disbelievers with mu'alat? Why? To gain their approval. To make them accept us. So that they accept us, they appreciate us, they like us. We are so influenced by them that if we get their stamp that they like us, that's it, we're fine. Who is the Malikul Mulk? Who is the one who gives Izzah? Who is the one who takes Izzah away? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if you want Izzah, go to who? Go to Allah, not your enemies. So basically for a believer, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes first. His command, that comes first. And then comes any other human being. We have not been told to isolate ourselves and to completely disconnect with the people who we are living with in a society. Which is why muasat, mudarat, and muamalat, this is something that we must do. But if we really understand the meaning of mualat, that mualat is that you're number one. I will leave anything for your sake. I will do anything for your sake. This is something that is forbidden with the disbelievers. Why? Because if they tell you to disobey Allah, are you going to do that? No, you should not. But if you have mualat with them, then you have to. So, the point is not to isolate ourselves, to completely disconnect with the rest of the society. No. This is not something that our deen tells us. When you're living in a society, you should be a beneficial member of the society. And in order to do that, you have to do muasat and mudarat and muamalat. You have to deal with the people. You cannot isolate yourself. The only thing that is forbidden is 
Mualat. That is only for the believers.